Selling books on eBay. Should you? Could you? Can you? Would you? Let's find out. Hey, and welcome to Bronze and Modern Gods. I'm John. As always, he's on this side. One week I'm going to get it right the first time. My buddy, Rich. How's it going, Richard? I'm doing well. Hanging out with the snow here in the middle of May. <laughs> oh, oh, I say from Southern California. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I can't relate. But we both relate on something, uh, and that is selling your books on eBay. Do's and don'ts, tips and tricks, ways to stop people from scamming you and to maximize your profits. We're going to talk about it all today. That's the topic for this week. But first, we always have our uh, artist spotlight as well, our underrated books of the week. And we're going to start off with the hot book of the week. And this time it's a Copper Age book, is it not? Yes, it is. It is Amazing Spider-Man number 238 from March 1983. Wow. It is the first appearance of the Hobgoblin. It's a iconic cover. You have a Hobgoblin on the cover, and he's ripping in half a Spider-Man costume uniform. And uh, it's, it's, it's an incredible cover. It's actually done by John Romita Sr. and Jr., Oh, uh, nice. Who both uh, senior actually penciled the book and uh, junior penciled the book and senior inked it. So it was a family affair for this book. And that book is unique for a couple of reasons. Not only is it the first appearance of a major Spider-Man villain, probably the most major Spider-Man villain in quite some time at that point in the run. But you also got a little bonus with the book when you bought it, didn't you? Yes, you did. Uh, sandwiched in between the cover and the last page of the book is an insert that included a number of uh, fake tattoos. They were they were highly prized. You can you can take them and slap them on your skin, a little water, and you've got a transfer. But unfortunately, since a lot of kids kids bought these books back in 1983, a lot of kids took those out of the book and actually used them as opposed uh, to taking it and putting it very carefully into a bag and saving it for uh, the next 40 years. What were those kids thinking? <laughs> so a number of these books will have those, uh, they're called tattoos with a Z, will have those um, those tattoos removed from the, from the book. And when you go to get that book graded by CGC or any grading company, because that is missing from the book, it will be considered an incomplete book and you will get a green label which is called qualified no yeah qualified is almost as bad as getting a purple label or the the label for um restored Oy. so you know this is one kind of tattoo removal you do not want <laughs> to have happen uh now i'm always i've always been curious because i've never actually seen a 238 with the tattoos what were the tattoos of Oh, you know, that's a good question. I have a 238 with the tattoos in them, uh, and I am terrified of getting too close to those things for, for fear they'll drop out or what have you. I know they're there, and that's good enough for me. Is it a heart with mom? Is it like a, <laughs> an anchor, like Popeye's forearms? I'm just curious. That's you know? a good question. Anybody in, who's watching, please, if you know what's, what the tattoos are of, please leave comments. <laughs> so what's this book run for in a 9.8? 9.8 is running about $1,100. And I, I've been watching this book uh, for a little over a month now, and we've seen a 27% increase from late March in the value of this book. It's wow. been steadily creeping up, and I don't see any any uh, 
any signs of it letting up anytime soon. So, okay, if this book's going for over a grand, how long until my Machine Man number 19 with the first appearance of Jack-O-Lantern is worth a thousand dollars? Probably another 30 years. But he was the <laughs> Yeah, so if, if you're looking for this book, I, I do recommend that, that uh, you, you consider this book. Make sure you check and make sure those tattoos are there. They're be between, if you open the book and then look at the back, uh, the very last page, you should see a little insert at the top that has the tattoos. And if you're going to be pressing this book, make sure you follow some uh, guidelines not to press the tattoos into an indention in the back cover. That would not be good. Yes, there are there, there's ways to, pr to protect yourself from that. The same, uh, some of the more modern books have now a little digital uh, copy of the book that's in them. It's a little, um, little coupon it's a little code. Off. Yeah, 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 a little little code. Um, and if you press and don't protect, you'll end up with a nice little indent in your book where that uh, coupon code is. So, so definitely. beware, pressers, if you're out there. I'm sure you are. Uh, well, another thing we need to do is talk about our nerd shirts of the week. Uh, I'll go first this week. I am wearing my killer Luke Cage Hero for Hire Billy Graham art T-shirt that I bought, uh, God, before the TV show was even announced on Netflix, I think. It was just wow. like. I just happened to see this Luke Cage shirt. I'm like, I, you know, you don't see a Luke Cage shirt every day, kids. So I snagged that sucker, and I love this shirt. I wore the crap out of it. What you got this week? Me? I got a Green Lantern shirt with a lantern symbol on it. A big big Green Lantern fan. I don't read as much uh, DC as uh, some of my friends do, but I've always been a, a huge fan of, of Green Lantern, all the different incarnations of it. So. Awesome. All right. So if you are a Green Lantern fan or your DC fan or any kind of comic fan, chances are you've gone onto eBay to try to buy some books. We covered that a couple episodes ago. But what if you want to try to sell your books on eBay? What do you need to look out for? What do you need to do? Well, we both have experience doing this, uh, extensive experience, I'll say. And we're here to kind of help walk you through it. Um, I have a few tips right off the bat. When you're starting for the first time, you want to have some feedback first. Uh, people are very nervous about buying from someone with low feedback. A real good way to build your feedback up very quickly is buy a bunch of stuff. You know, people kind of just glance at your ID and the number and they, they won't dig too deep. But if you have, you know, double digit uh, buys, you know, you bought maybe 15 things off eBay. Your feedback is a double digit. People are going to feel a little more secure uh, purchasing from you. So you might want to do that. Uh, Richard, what tips do you have? Mm -hmm. Yeah, buy, buying is, is a great way of building your feedback. It doesn't have to be expensive things. There's no difference in feedback points between uh, a, a $1 item and a $10,000 item. So buy a lot of inexpensive books, for example. Fill out your collection. It's a great way of doing that, and you'll build up a, a feedback uh, that way buy some replacement tattoos for your spider-man <laughs> don't do that <laughs> yeah, don't do please, that please don't do that so you've got some feedback you've got some books you want to sell first of all you kind of have to think about uh, a few things are these books worth putting up on ebay and by that i mean is it a dollar book you know are you really gonna put a dollar book up there and charge $4 for shipping, and then your time is actually something valuable as well. If you want to do that, God bless. Go, 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 Grace, go with you. Do it. But I tend to like value my time. So I tend to do some higher dollar uh, uh, selling on, on eBay. 
Uh, one way you can kind of get around this is sell a, a book as a uh, some books as a lot. Find a theme. Um, for example, I Vampire was a book from the New Fifty Two. I like the original I Vampire series from House of Mystery back in the uh, early eighties, late seventies. So I gave it a shot. I bought all nineteen issues. Never read them. They've sat forever. I'm not going to sell all 19 individually on eBay. Sell them as a set. You're going to get a bigger bang for your buck then. And uh, people will like just, you know, having the whole thing in one, one fell swoop. So yeah. do you want to talk a little bit about how you post a book, the different options you have to sell your book? eBay is known for its auctions, first of all. Uh, the, the site is a perfect place to let the bidders determine the value of a book. And that's one option that you have. And some people will start a book off at a penny uh, as its starting price. And in that auction, let the price naturally gravitate towards what the, 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 the bidders consider the value of the book to be. If you're happy with that and you don't mind taking the chance that that value may be less than what you may consider the book be, to be worth, that's a, that's a great way of if, if you're not really sure what the, the price is. Um, the all, other alternatives are... Uh, having a fixed price and the fixed price is you determine at the start of the auction what you consider the book to be worth and you set the price at that that fixed price uh, people who come across aren't bidding on the book they're deciding to buy the book at the price that you've marked it at and so if, if it's a book that you're really price sensitive on you can't you can't take a bath on it for example you can set that fixed price and be guaranteed to get that that value back uh, out of the book Unless you do it as a fixed price, buy it now, but you enable the make an offer button. Now you can choose to have a threshold. So if you have a $50 book up there, but you have make me an offer enabled, you can say, hey, anyone that offers me less than 30 bucks, just automatically decline it. That way you're not sitting there getting rid of lowball offers all day. eBay will do that for you. Another thing that we should mention about auctions is you've got a book that you you know, it's fairly expensive. You're nervous about putting it up for a penny. You can do it at a starting bid. You know, you can have the starting bid be $25. So someone has to at least bid $25 and, and one cent in order to get the book. I am not a big fan of doing these kind of starting floor prices. Even if it is, you know, a $500 book and you only have a $25 starting bid, it scares buyers off for some reason. There's a psychological block that seems to keep the bidders down as opposed to where it's a penny and they like seeing it run up. There's a psychological Pokemon gotta have it uh, mentality that really takes hold and you should take advantage of it, leverage it. You know, No one's gonna let a $500 book on eBay go for a penny unless, and this is another good point, you listed it wrong. Look at your title, look at, all the keywords you don't want to post journey into mystery number 83 first appearance of thor accidentally as journey into mystery 831 st appearance of thor right. <laughs> then your book might sell for a penny and you're going to be really upset yeah as a matter of fact there are websites out there that look for those zero bid auctions and kind of help you cherry pick to find those mistakes um but definitely the title of the book or the title of the uh, the listing is very, very important. You want to put the keywords that if you are looking for that book, uh, it would, would draw your eye. So like the title of the book, if it's a variant cover, uh, if it's hard to find, you'll see HTF 
mm -hmm. uh, for hard to find is also a, a, a great key. Put things in the in that title. You have about eighty characters to work with. Put something in there that that is descriptive and eye catching. Because another problem that you have, if it's a popular book, your listing may be one of twenty other listings that that particular seller is going through. So you want your listing to stand out in some way. Yeah, and also look out for spam keywords in your title. You know, because it kind of it's kind of a turnoff for some people too. Uh, don't put rare on your copy of ROM number one. <laughs> it's not rare, sorry. It's just gonna, it's just gonna torque people off. Uh, also, movie coming. If there's no movie announced for this, don't put it in there. I don't think there's a movie for Omega the Unknown number six, <laughs> at least not yet. So kind of watch yourself. You wanna, you wanna be an ethical seller. I think you, you make more in the long run by being an ethical seller. And part of being an ethical seller is a proper description and really detailed, numerous pictures of what you're selling. Absolutely. Pictures are key because when people go and look at your auction, they're going or your, your listing, they're going to look at those pictures because they only have your word to take uh, from from the textual content of your listing. So right. they, they take those those pictures and they look at things like spine ticks and they look for things like corner bends. So make sure you have a number of highly uh, high resolution pictures to go along with the words that you, you use to describe your book to build that complete picture. Uh, iPhone pictures, okay, fine. You're going to do much better if you actually scan your book with a scanner, 300 DPI minimum. Do a high res scan, make it full size. People want to see, you know what you want to see when you're buying a book. You want to look at the spine. You want to look at the staples. You want to look at the corners. You want to look at the back cover. Please provide a back cover scan. I can't tell you how many options <laughs> I've passed on because there's no oh, back cover yes. scan. I don't want to get a book and find out there's a piece of chewing gum on the back cover and the front cover looks great. Don't right. do that to someone. And for please, do not just put one picture. One picture does not tell a story. One picture will make me skip by the auction because I, I don't know what you're hiding if you can only show me one picture. A hundred percent. And, you know, you you even if you have a raw Fantastic Four number one and you're being honest and you're not lying, you have one picture, you may just get some curiosity bidders. You're not gonna maximize your investment in that book, but just by throwing up one picture, not the way to do it. Uh, also, we, let's talk about grading. Maybe you're not the most confident grader. You don't want to hide behind a phrase like, I'm not a professional grader, so look at the pictures. No, don't hide behind that phrase, just be upfront. Hey, grade the book yourself, judge by the pictures. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to grade this. I kind of, uh, I'm pretty confident in my grading. I will never ever say though, as a seller, please, this is a big tip. Even if I'm thinking the book is a 9.8 slam dunk, I will never say that because they send it off, it gets slapped, it comes back a 9.6. You get an email six months later from someone that you don't even remember. And they're like, hey, you said this was a 9.8, give me money back. Don't open right. the door for people like that. Oh yeah, I, I I've even stopped putting things like you know NM for near mint, any kind of grading in the in the in the description or the title. I once graded uh, some Eternals number two that I that I was selling as near mint. Now near mint is a, a range of grading values. Nine point two is a near mint. Exactly. So I it, they were easily nine point twos. These are great books. Listed them. I had a number of buyers. This is this is where I, I had a number of copies of this book, so you can set up an auction so that you could sell multiple copies.
and it will will uh, allow people to purchase one or two or however they want out of your auction. And I had one buyer come back and say, you know, these books are not these books aren't perfect, and and he's he was thinking by me saying near mint that I was talking about nine point eight you know, the highest end of that scale. I simply meant that it was a it was a higher end book. And we had a conversation and we worked the situation out. But, you know, it's it's something to be concerned about. Yeah, you know, near means near. Um, so <laughs> your interpretation may vary. Uh, one thing you want to also look out for is your shipping. Now, you've got some sellers out there that just love to make up margin in shipping. I'm not a fan of doing that. If you if your margins are so razor thin that you have to charge someone $30 to ship a book, there's a problem in Peoria. You need to really look at yourself. If you're sending a book out, think about how you're going to send it and be upfront about it. If you're going to put it in a priority mailing envelope with a couple pieces of cardboard and tape it to the cardboard, that's fine. Make sure you say so in your description. Uh, myself, I don't like doing that, even though I've done it in the past. I do like charging $12.95 for shipping for one reason, because I put it in a double boxed priority medium box. And I, I really make sure it's bulletproof, especially with slaps. So I find that people are like me are willing to pay a little bit more for shipping when they know it's going to be indestructible. So just be upfront about your shipping options. Now I I don't mind I like you I ship all of my stuff uh, rather uh, especially graded books slab books using USPS because they give you free shipping material it's 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 a match made in heaven and they'll deliver it to your house yes you can order it for free and they'll send it to your house uh, but you know they have a flat you know they have a flat rate medium sized box which is perfect for a slab and it's about fifteen dollars for that book to be shipped and it, it includes tracking and and all kinds of information. But, you know, depending on the value of the book, I will include insurance when I ship. And insurance on a $1,000 book can add a significant amount to the to the shipping cost. So in that case, I will charge more. If, I, if the book is a high value book, um, I have, you have two choices. You can actually include the shipping, um, the, the upgrade for the insurance and the shipping, or you can bite the bullet and just, uh, you know, if it's a $1,200 book, take the $15 and just eat it out of your profit and not include it. Or sometimes split it with uh, the person and only charge them half of it. I have a standard deal. If the book is selling for $500 or more, I'll buy the shipping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to lose a $500 plus sale over a $12.95 shipping cost Absolutely. or insurance cost. I, and I find that when I'm competing with people with multiple books uh, that are selling at the same time, you know, you've got, well, let's call a Fantastic Four 66 first appearance of Warlock slash him, and you're selling yours for 300 bucks, and there's three other ones the same grade that are selling anywhere from 290 to 350 Drop your book to 280 and offer free shipping. Take the bite. I mean, how much did you pay for it? How much are you in for it? What wouldn't you rather have the money in your pocket? Wouldn't you rather be liquid and lose out on 10 bucks here and there? You know, uh, go for it. You're here to sell a book, right? Right. And eBay also offers, you know, one of the things you want to do is when you ship a book, you want to ship it as quickly as you possibly can. So you get the payment on the book on, on Monday. What I typically try to do is I have the book already boxed up, ready to go. I print off the shipping label, slap it on the box, drive down to the post office, which is about a mile from me. 
the book is in the post office hands within 24 hours of me getting that 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 payment. And what eBay will do is if you show that you can ship on a regular basis that quickly, you will be able to offer a special free shipping option. And your listing shows up in green saying free shipping, which is one of those differentiators that you can use to pull yourself up above the rest of the crowd. There's no excuse for not shipping quickly. The You can even request a pickup at your home by the post office. <laughs> they will come and get the boxes from you. So don't, don't waste any time. Uh, it also helps with customer service, which is another uh, important aspect of this. Um, you know, I've been very fortunate. I've been very lucky. It's by design, a lot of it, by providing really good customer service. But every once in a while, you're going to have a grumpy Gus. Uh, I think it just comes with the hobby sometimes. One time I sold a book on a Friday afternoon. I got an email on a Sunday morning from the buyer complaining that I had not shipped the book yet. Um, I don't know if he realized it was the weekend. <laughs> And I kind of as politely as I could said, you know, hey, you know, you bought this on Friday night, Saturday, I wasn't at the post office before noon, Sunday, they're closed. He came back even angrier that I dared to reply to him this way and how what a crappy seller I am. And, you know, you're going to get people like this. They're just weirdos out there. They're everywhere. So just be as polite as you can. The worst thing you can do is get in a pissing match with someone that just is looking for it. And sometimes you'll ship a book and despite your best efforts, it gets mangled in the mail. Uh, ask for pictures, ask to see what happened to it. And you can see it's your packaging. You can kind of see if it's your book and say, great, what do you want to do? Do you want to send it back for a full refund or would you like a partial refund? And you can kind of meet in the middle. I always will advise you, if someone tells you a book is damaged, have them send it back. If they're unwilling to send it back, something's up. Uh -huh. Yeah, customer service is so important. I, Whenever I sell a, a, a higher value book, I will use something that I notice most people don't use, which is the ability to contact the, the, the buyer through eBay and simply tell them, you know, thank them for their purchase. Uh, I will include a picture of the shipping, the boxes I'm shipping, because you can add pictures to it. And so you build a rapport with that with that buyer. So if something does happen, you're not just a faithless eBay seller to them. You know, you, you have some connection and that that communication channel is open and you can find a, a, a way of getting through that that issue uh, much easier. I've sold $3,000 books from eBay. I've sold $3 books from eBay. And I feel very confident doing it. I'm a little less confident now that I see some of the, the really um, uh, elaborate scams that are being run where you send someone a Hulk 181 that they won and they claim they opened it up. It was nothing but crumpled up newspapers inside and you you know, you don't have any proof. That's why I take a little video of me packing a high dollar book and I take a video of me taping the box shut. And uh, one thing you can do if you're super nervous about sending a high dollar book through the mail is take it to the post office and pack it in front of the postal clerk. I'm not sure you can do that now with the current COVID situation, but I've seen people do that before. Well, they'll take a really expensive book and they will pack it in front of the postal inspector who will witness it. Mm -hmm. And you know, you're kind of covered one way you can make sure you don't get scammed is have the postal inspector or the postal employee see you pack it and have a friend take a video of that happening 
and send it to the buyer after you ship it and say, hey, your book's on the way. Here's a little video of me sending it off. They're going to go either, wow, great. I feel good. My book's on the way. Or they're going to say, oh, crap, I can't rip this guy off. <laughs> but, you know, to me, eBay, there's a cap of books that I would sell. I mean, $3,000, I think, is a great a great cap. Yeah. Anything, when you get to the $5,000 books or you're trying to, to sell a Showcase 22, you know, something really rare and really valuable, eBay may not be the place for you to sell it. Uh, not only because of the, the, the concern about shipping, but because of taxes. The and buyer, the fees. The fees are, yeah. Do you want to talk about the fees? I would rather give Comic Link or Heritage a flat fee to sell a high, high dollar book for me than pay the 12.5% on eBay than the additional 3% on PayPal. That racks up really, really quickly. Absolutely. There's a reason that retailers call eBay Feebay because of the fees. The, the um, taxes is something that's, that's a relatively new development. And it can be a significant bite into the, the you know, adding to the, the, the cost of your, your listing. And uh, sometimes sellers or buyers aren't really aware of that extra bite until they go to get to the checkout. Or if you're a seller, you're like cruising along, things are fine. And near the end of the year, you get a 1099 in the mail from eBay. <sighs> Yeah. Surprise, you have to pay taxes on your revenue. Mm -hmm. So there are there are ways of doing this. I am not Susie Orman. I don't <laughs> I, I would love to be Susie Orman in the Bahamas wearing a southwestern style Arizona jacket and turquoise, but I'm not. So your financial advice may vary, but you know, you're gonna get slapped with a 1099 when you start getting into the thousands and thousands of dollars. Right. And and there's there's ways of doing that. There there are a number of of large dealers who sell a huge volume of books on eBay. Uh, and also they sell books on their own websites, you know. Um, so if you want to fit into that category and those that's your aspiration, that's great. But if you're like us and we are people who like to maximize our time and maximize our, our our profit there's there's some things you want to uh be considerate about when it comes to, to listing those books and so you're a new you're a new seller you got your feedback up you're listing some books you sold your first books wow hey how come i how come paypal's holding my funds richard that is so annoying um paypal will hold the funds of for a new uh seller until the buyer has actually received the item. So if you sell an $800 book, um, the, the money is, is received by P PayPal from, the, from the, the buyer, but you don't see any of it. You don't see any of it until once the book is, has, you've shipped it and it gets to the, uh, to the buyer and the buyer leaves feedback. Then, then finally your money is released. So be, be cognizant of that. That's, that's, that's what happens to new sellers. Sometimes they'll release enough money to cover the shipping, um, but you won't get that the bulk of that $800 until the transaction is completed. Once you have a reputation and you have a, a track record with PayPal, it's not a problem. Um, you're, you're, the money instantly appears in your PayPal account and you're able to do what have you. Um, now, there's other issues with PayPal. PayPal can be uh, a a black box. <laughs> there are no, no way. There are very limited ways of communicating with them. Um, if there's an issue there, it, it, you have to jump through hoops to do it, but it, it's still one of the easiest ways to, of handling a transaction. Uh, it's the only way of handling transaction on eBay. Uh, 
Well, let's talk about it. Uh, you know, eBay uh, is a little famous for siding on the side of the buyer. Mm -hmm. uh, so there, there are unscrupulous people out there that will take advantage of that and demand refunds for books that you know they got and they say they never did. And, you know, so you, you, you have to be ready to pick up that phone and call customer service. Uh, I've had to do it before. It's not fun, but take the emotion out of it. This is a business. And if someone's trying to get one over on you, don't let them. Yeah. And, and also, you know, one of the things you want to do as a, as a seller is keep your feedback rating at 100%. Anything under 100% people are curious as to why you don't have 100% and will value your listing less because of that difference. And sometimes you find buyers, um, they'll hold you hostage mm -hmm. where uh, you've sold them something and they claim to be unhappy about it. And for some reason, they are, they are implying or threatening that they're going to leave you negative feedback. And if you get negative feedback, your 100% now goes to 99.8 or whatever whatever the percentage is based on the total number of feedback that you have. So as the seller, you, you, you'll do almost anything to avoid that happening, including giving partial refunds or refunding shipping or things like that. Uh, to me, a little bit of money to keep my 100% rating is, is, is worth it. And, and, and some, some buyers understand that and will take advantage of it. And if it goes down that path and you're not able to, you're at an impasse, you can't reach a conclusion, say, you know what? I'm happy to give you a full refund once I receive the book back from you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Never, never be afraid to walk away from the transaction. Get your book back. You All you'll be out is shipping. If you have any more questions about selling on eBay, we're here. Uh, you can always uh, hit us up. Uh, Gmail is bronzeandmoderngods at gmail.com. You can always uh, hit us up uh, here, Facebook, Instagram down here. We're at Bronze and Modern Gods. And uh, you can even do it right here in the comments section if you're watching us on YouTube. So make sure you hit us up with your questions. We'd be happy to answer them in a future episode. All right, Richard, time for the artist spotlight. You had last week. This week, it's my turn. Do you know who I'm going to talk about? Mr. Gil Kane. Gil Sugarlips Kane. <laughs> Stan Lee called him. I mean, I said Gil Sugar Kane. That I but why Sugar Lips? Uh, it's Dan. By the way, hi, Kitty. Hi. Hi. The, the, <laughs> the, the wonders of live, live uh, recording. Who yeah. is that? That is Sophie. Hi, Sophie. Uh oh, oh, Sophie's <laughs> some comic books. That's a uh, new point eight, isn't it? <laughs> so Gil Kane was a uh, was one of the most prolific and just well respected and well regarded comic book artists. He started off uh, various different places in the fifties before settling at DC, doing runs on books anywhere from uh, All Star Western to Rex the Wonder Dog. He uh, launched Green Lantern uh, in Showcase in the uh, Silver Age. But I grew up knowing Gil Kane as primarily the uh, the main Marvel cover artist in the uh, early to mid-70s. It was amazing how many different covers this guy drew. Uh, he would just 
do these preliminary sketches and just whack them over to a, an inker and they would flesh them out. And they're beautiful. There's a Facebook page I can't recommend enough called Gil Kane Unchained. Go follow that. You'll see all of his little thumbnail sketches that he would do uh, for these covers. His favorite covers to do at Marvel were was not the superhero stuff, actually. He preferred to do the covers for the Western reprint titles. And there is an issue of the Marty, Mighty Marvel Western, and it is uh, Rawhide Kid taking a drink from in this desert oasis, and in the reflection of the water in front of him, you can see these men with guns drawn at him. It's beautifully composed. It's a beautiful cover. It was his favorite cover of all time. It's one of mine. Uh, Gil was a master of anatomy. He was from the Bern Hogarth School of Anatomy, Dynamic Anatomy. He was famous for, infamous for a couple of things that were basically Gil <laughs> King tropes. And that would be the panel with the up nose shot where you got to see nostrils, nostrils, <laughs> nostrils. Uh, he was also famous for this one repeating motif of someone just punching someone as hard as they can. And the the uh, recipient of the punch in the foreground, like coming towards the reader, very uh, Kirby-esque type thing, but with this just beautiful, beautiful anatomy and musculature. So Gil Kane, uh, I collect his covers. I love him. Uh, he did some great interiors as well. He preferred to ink himself sometimes. It got a little markery. He he would use a black magic marker to ink himself, and it was really obvious to me. Uh, I prefer him with other inkers, uh, particularly people like uh, Rudy Nebrez. Uh, so just check him out. If you haven't gotten down that Gil Kane rabbit hole, I highly recommend Gil Kane. Absolutely. He, he did uh, Conan for, for a run too, didn't he? He sure did. Um, it was including amazing. Red Sonja. And I wonder how he feels now because Red Sonja is a whole industry unto itself. Along with Vampirella, there are whole, there's a whole <laughs> industry producing comic books around those characters. So. Yeah, it, it, he he was known for some of his barbarian work, uh, some of the really violent things. Uh, he did a, a self uh, a self owned book called His Name Is Savage with Archie Goodwin, that is like you know really brutally violent, teeth flying everywhere, <laughs> shining away from blood. So you know if you're oh, if that you're, comic code, who cares it, about the comic? Well, code? it was a magazine outside of the comics code. Oh, okay. We wanted to push the medium a bit. But Gil Kane, just uh, we, we, such a loss, you know, uh, he was such a treasure and one of those artists that it, no matter how much respect he gets, it's just not enough. So underrated books of the week. I will let you go first this week. I know you've got a good one. Yeah, uh, there's, uh, my underrated book of the week is a book called Concrete. Concrete is an interesting book. Uh, it is an Eisner Award winner for two years in a row. Um, it is written and drawn by Paul Chadwick uh, and published by Dark Horse back in 1987. It is all about a normal person, a speechwriter, a political speechwriter, who aliens transfer his brain into a giant stone character, uh, creature. And he escapes from the aliens. Aliens are only mentioned one time, really, in, in the series. Uh, he escapes from the aliens, comes back to a normal normal society. Uh, the government passes him off as a cyborg. He goes back to living amongst people, and that's about it. He lives his life as this giant stone character 
surrounded by normal people. He leaves a, le, leads a little bit more exciting life than just an average Joe. He climbs Mount Everest, for example, at some point. But it's a story about characters. The fact that he's this giant rock creature is really secondary to the interactions he has with the people around him. And it's 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 a, a book about the story. It's not about action. It's not about, um, it's a black and white book for, for most of the run. It's it's really about the story between the main character, his love interest, and the people surrounding him, and the the emotions that uh, are brought up because of those interactions. Great yeah, book. It, it's real slice of life stuff. It's not you know slam bam action fight scene things. I you know there's uh, one story I remember where he goes and tries to save some miners that are trapped in a mine, and it doesn't quite go as you would think a heroic uh, rescue would go uh, because he doesn't think about some things like gas pockets and oxygen and mm -hmm. things like that. No, he's not a hero. He's, I mean, he tries to be a hero, but he's not a superhero in, in the, in the, the, you know, the context that we normally think of that. I remember the first appearance was in dark horse presents number one. Uh, and this was a hot book for a while back in 1987 uh, in that black and white independent uh, craze. And we uh, sold quite a few of those in the comic shop I used to manage. And when Concrete Number One came out, it was a popular, popular book. And this was the guy who drew a few issues of the Dazzler for Marvel before it got canceled. And all of a sudden, he's this hotshot independent uh, creator that owns his own property. And we never really found out, unless you know, it happened later in the run when I stopped reading it. We never found out what Concrete was. Was he? Was his mind actually transferred into another body? Was he manipulated in some way by these aliens? We just never really got the full story unless I missed it somewhere. And the, the thing is, and the point of the story really is, it didn't really matter. No. Uh, it was it was really secondary to the rest of his purpose as that story vehicle. So um, really, I think it's an underrated book because it was really popular back then. Like I said, it won, won Eisner Awards. And it has literally dropped off the face of the earth. Um, I try looking up uh, CGC 9.8 values for this book, and they're basically non-existent. Uh, people just are not collecting this book, no. I think, in the way that I think it should be. I don't really have high hopes that it's going to be optioned at some point uh, because there isn't the action that that people are looking for for TV properties and movie properties. Uh, but I, I I think it's something that. If you if you like story, it's something you should reach out, find. You can find it inexpensively. There's a number of trade paperbacks available. Grab it, read it. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, it's 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 a comfortable story. It makes you feel comfortable. And speaking of stories uh, and books that are really story driven as opposed to art driven, my pick of the week is a book that um, the artist uh, for most of the run, uh, Red Hot Greg Capullo called a dog because <laughs> he, he was not a fan of being stuck on this book for the beginning of his career before he went on to X-Force. And that is Quasar. Quasar, Wendell Vaughn, uh, formerly known as Marvel Man uh, and one of the uh, super agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. first appeared uh, Wendell Vaughn character as uh, Marvel Man in Captain America 217, which is a hot book right now and really, for some reason, tough to find a 9.8 witness. I'm trying to get one. <laughs> um, and then he um, 
appeared first appeared as the name Quasar in Hulk 234, another tough book in 9.8 for some reason, and then went on to uh, have some guest appearances here and there in Marvel 2-in-1, and then eventually he was kind of a pet character for Mark Grunewald, uh, one of the uh, executive editors and, and my major writers for Marvel in the 80s, and Mark Grunewald loved continuity. He loved cosmic characters. He loved story building and quasar was a way for him to get all these jones out of his system in one book and the problem with quasar if there was a problem it started off really quietly it launched like in the late 80s uh mike manley was drawing it, it was very pedestrian the stories were kind of done in one with some subplots and it didn't really catch on and then it, the writing was on the wall and the book was about to get canned and they got Greg Capullo on the book and did this huge storyline called Cosmos in Collision that involves Death Urge, Oblivion, Infinity, uh, the Living Tribunal, every wow. cosmic character you can think of, with poor little Quasar in the middle uh, with his quantum bands that give him power. They can't remove him. So what do they do? They chop his hands off, take him, and kill him. He dies in his own book and comes, trust me, comes back. Spoiler alert. This storyline was so popular. Uh, it has just been recently uh, printed in a trade paperback, which I thought would never happen for a Quasar uh, story. They uh, Mark Grunewald cashed in all his chips trying to save this book during that storyline. He got Todd McFarlane to draw a cover. He got Jim Lee to draw a cover. So the covers are great, and the story's even better. You've got this beautiful early Greg Capullo art before he goes over to X-Force and Spawn, becomes a famous superstar. Uh, he called it a dog. I like the book. Um, <laughs> And that that momentum from that storyline really kept that book going for a good five years. Uh, it lasted 60 issues uh, or so, I believe. And, you know, uh, it, the storylines really were all over the place in terms of continuity. It, Quasar goes into the universe of what-ifs. All the what-if stories actually existed because the Watcher saw them, and Quasar goes through all these different universes and sees all these old what-if stories that you read about and catches up with these characters. It's really wow. cool. Quasar goes to the new universe that was canceled. Oh, well, you know, Quasar is going to go visit the new universe. And guess what he brought back with him? The Star Brand. That's how the Star Brand ends up in the Marvel Universe. It happened in Quasar. And that's now Star Brand's part of the Avengers mythos and everything. It all kind of started with Quasar. Again, there's a few key books in here that are starting to see a little heat. First appearance of some Kree characters that were in the MCU. Um, Quasar himself is rumored to be in uh, upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy movie. This is still a book you can kind of get your hands on fairly affordably. I can't recommend it enough. The whole 60 issues is just great reading. It's never going to be a top-tier book. It never was. It never will be. But if you like Mark Grunewald and you like good, solid, old-fashioned Marvel Universe storytelling, check out Quasar. And uh, pricing? Pricing? It's cheap. Go with the <laughs> dollar boxes. Grab some Quasars. There's a couple yeah. of like I said, I think issue 32 is the first appearance of some Kree character that was in Guardians of the Galaxy. So people started snapping that up. Um, at that point, it was direct sales only. So there's a couple of new – they crossed over with um, Operation Galactic Storm, which was a big crossover that was being still sold on the newsstands. So there are a couple of newsstand editions of later Quasar issues that actually are numbered one and two because they – 
didn't want to keep the same numbering for some reason. Those are actually neat variants that uh, are are interesting to grab if you're a collector. Excellent, excellent. I'm going to have to read that. Uh, yeah, I can't recommend it. Try the Cosmos and Collision trade paperback. You can pick it up and, and take it right from there. There's not a lot of heavy continuity going into it, and you'll really enjoy it. So I think that's it for this week. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> so make sure you follow us uh, on Facebook and Instagram at Bronze and Modern Gods. Please, if you're watching us on YouTube, leave us a couple comments, leave us a like, leave us uh, a subscription uh, button hitter thingy. Would you do there with your mouse and your finger? You might want to do that. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcast, podcast platform, you might want to give us a little review and a rating. Don't judge us based on my uh, my outro here. Judge <laughs> on the content you just looked through for the last 44 minutes. And uh, we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for watching.